0: 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you would please, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to read through uh, from verse 13 through verse 18. This is a very, very ambitious thing to take one sermon to cover this material, but it's, it really is a unit, and so we need to do this. Uh, it, 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 and I'll share this, the context of it in just a moment. But it really, for the Apostle Paul even, is kind of abrupt. He changes directions as he's preaching, and uh, so we need to read this and see what we can glean from it. I hope, as Paul wanted to do to his audience and, and to future audiences, including us, I sincerely hope that this will be an incredible encouragement to you and give you hope of what is to come when the Lord Jesus comes back. 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13 But we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep Now I'll say this in a few minutes but he means those of their company who had died so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have, again he uses the the term, fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of Father, what an encouragement it is every time we get to open Your Word and study it and apply the truths that are found in it to our lives. And I pray that today would be no different. In fact, I pray that it would even be more so the truth of this today to bring encouragement in the face of of death, something that is all around us. It, It always is, always has been. And so I pray that You would assist us now as I preach And as we hear what you have to say from your Word, Father, I thank you for the the music that we've had today, an opportunity to worship and adore you. When we do that, we are joining the angels in heaven around the throne, and I I just appreciate the opportunity to come together with like-minded believers and do that. Father, we want to pray for, oh, there are so many things in the world the victim's of the hurricane. Lord, we pray for that situation. We pray for our president and our country. We, we pray for all that is going on around us in what some have called our new normal, and we pray that we would have the context to, to, to make a contribution, to have an impact, because we know in whom we have believed. So we thank you, Father, and pray all of this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. I always want to do this to try to set the context uh, for any sermon that I do, but, but for this in particular, as I alluded to a few minutes ago, we need to step back from this specific passage of Scripture and to see what Paul does to encourage Christians. Now, he's been doing that, and we need to go back. In case this is your first time with us, we've been studying through this book of 1 Thessalonians, the the first three chapters were largely setting the the doctrinal foundation. And then in chapter 4, Paul launches into, okay, church, you've got this now. Here is how you're supposed to live all of this out. So he's been already encouraging Christians to do really one thing. No matter what your age, young or old or in between, he's been encouraging us to, to, to know and to understand what it means to live and to please God. And he jumps in in chapter 4 by saying, and we spent several weeks on this, I, I really think if you didn't get those, you, you ought to go back and listen to those messages, how that we are set apart for Purity. And in a world that is so impure, not just our culture but cultures around the world, we are set set apart from the the sexual immorality of our culture. And then he, he moves on after that to talk about our love for one another, our love for brothers and sisters in Christ. And then last week, we talked about our work and we talked about, do you remember that? We talked about being quiet, living our lives quietly and minding our own business and working hard with our hands, all of those so that we can be a witness to the world. And then, all of a sudden, it's, it's almost as if Paul shifts gears and he jumps into something that seems totally unrelated, but it's not. It's almost as if Paul says, okay, we've, we've gotten these things down now, church. Let's talk about death. Specifically, what happens to Christians when they die? This apparently was a burning issue for them. Maybe it's not for you. But I'll bet you know some people that this is a burning issue for. What happens to Christians when they die? Are they just dead? And that's that? What about this thing about Jesus coming back? It's all through the New Testament. Are those who are dead going to miss out on that incredible event that is still future? Now, let me take that from the context of this passage of Scripture and bring it home to you. What about you? Try not to just respond to this question that I'm about to ask just rhetorically, the the Sunday school answer. Try to respond deep down from inside. Do you feel that you are adequately prepared for your own death? And then to expand on that, are you prepared for the second coming of Christ? Now, I've given you an outline of the passage of Scripture. You you will notice, if you've been here for long, my outlines are not real fancy. I try to just, we just try to walk through the Scriptures, but I think it breaks down pretty well into the outline that I've given here. And and I'm going to give uh, quite a bit of stuff in a relatively short period of time. That's what Paul did talking about the second coming of Christ in just six verses. And so we're, we're going to walk through that. There's some quotes there. We, I, I'm not going to mention any of those quotes specifically, but it might be good if you'd write down some verses and, and, and just study this. Study this with your family and your loved ones. And here's why. I, I almost subtitle this. You can see the title of the, the message is The Comfort of His Coming but I almost entitled this How to Prepare for the Next Cultural Revolution. In case you haven't noticed, our culture is in revolution. And a part of it, I I get these things all the time. I want to try to be fair. There, There is a tremendous and unexpected, at least for us, I've said this before, in our little tiny slice of history, the word unprecedented has been used a lot. In fact, in my thinking, it's been overused. These these are unprecedented times. Well, again, for our little slice in history, that probably is true, but not in the whole scheme of things if you step back and you look back at all of history. But here is the thing that we've seen. We've seen an up in deaths from this thing called COVID-19 and cases and all of the rest of that. How are you going to respond? How is this passage of Scripture going to help you in responding correctly to all of the fear over death? And you would have to be a hermit or not watching the news to not see how that it is spun in our media today. I'm not saying death is not real and there's grief when a loved one dies. But Christians, we need to have something more than just a a Psalm 91 interpretation of how we can escape the pandemic. Christians have gotten sick and Christians have died. And Paul acknowledges, this is one of the things that I love about going to the Scriptures and, and seeing how well it applies to our lives. Paul acknowledges that there is grief when a loved one dies. Now, we don't know exactly what this looked like for the, the, the church in Thessalonica, but we do know that some of their, their number, probably family members, had died. And that was then, and this is now. And the reason why Paul acknowledges that grief does happen is because life is precious. God created life to be precious, and with loss of life comes grief. So, you've got to see right up front that Paul does not downplay that. He doesn't say that death won't happen or that, that we just need to pass on by it. We should never be indifferent about death. It hurts. But church, in our grief, we have something that those who are outside the faith, and that's what he alludes to at the very beginning, don't have. Do you know what we have that they don't have? We have hope. Now, I, I, I said this when we were reading through the Scripture. Let's just do some, some study as we walk through. In verse 13, we're acknowledging the grief Paul uses a different word though. He could have said about those who have died, but three times he uses the word asleep to refer to death. He used that terminology a lot, and so did Jesus. If you remember the story, we're going to talk about two different guys named Lazarus, but Lazarus was one of Jesus' best friends And word came to Jesus that he was sick, and by the time he got there, and and there's a whole other sermon that grows out of this story, but he uses this term again. And I I think there's a reason why that he and, and the Apostle Paul would use that. After saying these things, Jesus said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And we're going to get to this in a minute. And it's pretty cool that there is a real parallel between this particular verse and the passage of Scripture that we're studying. And we find it in this passage of Scripture. Now, Jesus had spoken of His death. Just so you'll know, I asked the question a minute ago, what happens to a Christian when they die? After the death of of the body… Okay? By the way, this is for non-Christians as well. And let me just personalize it. By the way, nobody is ever so old that you don't think you're going to live at least another year. Okay? So I know that the feeling, the sense, maybe, I'm trying to look around, I really don't see anybody necessarily that has that, that, that gripping sense of the imminence of your own death but there are people who have that. But at some time, you, barring the return of the Lord, you are going to die just like Lazarus did. And when you do, or anybody on this earth, when they die, their body has has died and it's going to be disposed of in some way or the other. Okay? Okay but your soul. Now, I might be talking to some in this group that are not yet Christians. Your soul is going to be very much alive and aware, conscious of of, of everything. There is another passage of Scripture. We're not going to put it on the overhead, or we're not going to uh, uh, read it right now. But most of you are familiar with the other Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. You might write down that reference and look that story up. Luke chapter 16 tells the story of a rich man and a poor man. The poor man's name was Lazarus. And it is told in the story. By the way, it's not just a story because Jesus said there was a certain man. So this really happened. He was giving real-time information and he said both men died and they both went to a conscious, eternal kind of existence. One in, figuratively, the bosom of Abraham went to be with the Lord, and the other went to be in the place of torment. And so you put that in the context of what he's talking about. Here is basically the the picture of when you die, Your soul is immediately going to be transferred to one of two places. No middle of the road, no soul sleep. That's not what Paul is talking about here. Your soul is alive, but your body is going to be put into the grave. And for Christians, Paul uses the terminology, fallen asleep, so did Jesus to indicate this, that this state of whatever the body is in is not permanent. It's going to wake up someday. That's going to be at Christ's coming with that vivid picture of the reality of where some of your loved ones are just mark it down, each one in this room. You know, it's it's hard when you're doing monologue and you're trying to get something across and you're wondering how is this communicating to people. I I have prayed because of the the importance of all of the Word of God, but this passage seems to be one that is so vitally important, and I've prayed that everybody that is hearing this would really grasp as, as far as you can the reality of this? Every one of you, I'm going to put it in another way, in this room and every person on this planet has an appointment with death. I got that from the Bible. Okay? Because, let's go back to this verse... Hebrews 9 27, it says, it is appointed for a man once to die. Now, let me just stop and ask you. Do do you believe do you believe this? Okay, who made that appointment with God? Did you just wake up at some point and say, ah, oh, you know what? I need to make an appointment with God. A lot of you make appointments with the dentist and the doctors and all the rest of that. Who made that appointment? God did. In fact, he put you into his appointment book. This was the verse that I had a few minutes ago. He's got a book. Today is in that book, and so is the appointment for the day of your death. Now, let me ask that again. Not Sunday school answer, but do you really believe that? Let me ask this. Do you believe that God appointed the day of your birth? Now, see, that's a little bit easier, isn't it? You either have to believe that God appointed the day of your birth, or you have to believe that it was random or it was a mistake Do you believe that God planned the day of your death? The majority of the people around you do not, and they believe that their death is going to be random. It's just going to happen when, it's hap- when it happens. That's what most people believe. But but here's another verse that, that verifies the activity of the divine in your ultimate homegoing. This was right before the crucifixion, or after the crucifixion of Christ. And, and, and so, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and they were, were talking about their end, their demise. And so, he said these words about how Peter was going to die. He said this, Jesus said, to show by what kind of death that he, Peter, was going to glorify God. And that verse has really rung in my heart, uh, in my head for a long time. Now, was that just about Peter, or is that, was that about us? Was Jesus just a good guesser? Or he hoped it would come through? No, it was very, very specific. He was indicating what kind of death by which Peter was going to glorify God. And I thought to myself, Lord, my time is coming. I've got an appointment. I don't know when it'll be, but I've got an appointment. It's already written down in your day timer, in your appointment book or whatever, in your software. You know, maybe I, I, usually for the doctor's appointments, I get these texts and I get these calls. You have an appointment? Please pla- press one to confirm. Press two if you're canceling. Well, guess what? You can't cancel. So I know I've got an appointment and I, listen to this, this is, this is stunning and it's, it's frightening to many people. I'm talking about Christians this is where a lot of Christians will say, yeah, but are you saying that God, and then they'll pick the most horrible situation, tragedies that have happened even recently, deaths and things like that. Are you saying that God is appointed not only the day of the death, but how? And for the specific reason that you and I as believers might glorify him in that. And well, that opens the the door is for a lot of possibilities. I don't understand in an instantaneous time of of, of death, is there at least some kind… I was wondering this for myself. Is there some kind of a momentary type thing that God will give me so that in that second, I can praise Him, I can glorify Him? Or if it's a long protracted illness… Or maybe if it's something that takes my mind, my capacity to think, that maybe somewhere in that I, I can, at, at least before the, the heavenly host, be praising and glorifying God. You see, God has a purpose in your death. That is an absolutely stunning thought. But for those who don't know God, what is their response? Fear. I, I, you know, I, I've posed this to many people who've asked that question when I've talked about these kinds of things, and they'll they'll put in the, the the yeah, but what about this and what about that? And can you say really that God is is in that, that He is making an appointment and He's going to be in the actual how that happens? Then I've heard this. Sorry. I can't buy into a God like that. I've asked the question, I really have, I've asked the question, okay, let's just say there's not a God and and your demise is going to be in one of these ways. You can't stop that. The world's not going to stop simply because your personal belief system is uncomfortable with how you're going to die, okay? So you don't have a God that figures into the equation, what do you do with that? And if they're honest, most people either, number one, they just don't think about it, or number two, they fear. And that's what I was saying a minute ago, all about the COVID, kind of, it, it, it's a real thing. I'm not minimizing the reality of people getting sick and dying, but there has been such an incredible amount of fear that has gone into the whole subject of dying. And, and, and at least what I've shared with them, if you add God back into the situation. Now, we know it's more than that. It's a personal faith in Jesus Christ. God grants repentance and faith, and we come into an organic union with Jesus Christ. But at least with him, we have what in our grief? We don't grieve like others do, the pagan world, who have no hope. Man, I could close the Bible and go home and we would have heard enough. But I'm not. I've got five more points to go. Okay, let's look at the second one. The belief. Look at the, okay, let's go back. The belief. This, this is all based on belief. And, and you're talking with someone and they say, well, I don't believe like you. I, for, in most situations, I just really, if you're trying to get to know someone and you're asking what do you believe Uh, that's a good thing, and then you share what you believe, and they say, I don't believe what you believe. Well, here, there's a reason why Christians who are grieving deeply should not despair as those who have no hope. And here's the reason. He says it right here. It's the gospel We have gospel hope. I love how Paul inserts the gospel into this, where he says Christ died. Now, if we believe, you know what this is? This is going back to our study of the Apostles' Creed. Paul is just referring back to, not the Apostles' Creed, that was later, but an early confession. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, do you believe that? And I almost thought about saying the Apostles' Creed today to go back and say, these are some of the things that we affirm. We believe in the gospel. Here's the gospel statement. Paul said in a parallel passage in 1 Corinthians 15, where we're going to use this passage to talk about what that means in terms of the second coming of Christ. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That's a, we're going to get to the foundation in just a minute that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. The fundamental confession of the church is the gospel, that Jesus died and was raised again. So, so, here's what He's saying. He's saying, here's why you can have hope, believers, because the death of Christ on Calvary's cross secures forgiveness for sin, and the resurrection a lot of times Christ is just left on the cross. No. The resurrection guarantees the resurrection of our body and living forever. Okay, I said 1 Corinthians 15 was a parallel. Let's look at a couple of verses in this parallel. Now watch. Paul goes through a, a, a just kind of a variety of things. He's trying to to, to obviously prove a point from the revelation of the Word of God. If Christ has not been raised, so he's going to go to the other side, take the negative. And amazingly, there are Christians who do not believe that Christ was bodily raised, that he bodily ascended, that he's bodily coming back. Wow. And that's that's a sad proposition, because if you do not believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, your faith is dumb, futile. It's empty. You are still in your sins. Whoa, whoa, now wait a minute. I thought Christ died for our sins. See, the resurrection is the guarantee of the promise of forgiveness of sins. So, without the resurrection, everything else is futile, And then he goes on. He's meddling now. Then those who have fallen asleep, this is what the the, the believers in Thessalonica could have been going through, have in Christ, they have perished. Not much hope in that. Let's move on. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He was dead and he came back to life. Those who have fallen asleep are going to wake up because Christ was the first fruits of that. And then he expands it. For He's showing the reality. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all. Now those two all. By the way, when you see the word in the Bible, all, what does that mean? But you, you have to set it in the context. For as in Adam all died. Who's the all? Every individual who's ever been born, except for Jesus. So also, who are the all in the second phrase? Those who are in Christ, the context tells you, shall be made alive at His coming, those who believe or who belong to Christ. That Jesus lives is proof that you will live. And we're going to see it in his fullness when he comes to get us. Let's move on to the third thing the source okay your belief is only as good as your source. so again, if you're witnessing to someone and and Dave Robinson was here and you 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 you're trying to get to know that person and you ask the sometime thing. Could we get together sometime? And you're listening to this person and he's talking about his belief. Now, folks, people believe so many different things. So you're going to have to, if you're asking that question and you've really got a rank pagan, and maybe even a Christian that's fallen into pagan teachings, you're going to have to bite your lip sometimes not to either cringe or laugh. So don't do that respect, listen, listen to what they are saying. If they say, I believe that uh, the moon is made of green cheese, and then go into a long explanation, you just sit there and nod, well, that's, that's very interesting. Now, what do you follow that with? What question do you follow that with? Come on. Why do you believe that? Your belief is only as good as the foundation, the source upon which it is built. So when you get to share your story, I believe that there is a God who created the universe. And He created us to walk with Him. And man sinned in Adam, but but God sent His Son, Jesus, the Savior. And they say, Hold on, I don't believe that. What do you say? You say, I assume you don't believe that, but let me tell you my foundation. See, the Word of God is our foundation for everything we believe, and you don't really have to do a lot of defending, like Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said, just turn it loose. The Word of God, applied by the Spirit of God, can take care of itself if you will faithfully just share it. Belief has to have a source. What is the source of your belief? And that's why it's so important. Now, Paul says this. Look at this. He actually says this. He said, we received what we're about to tell you about the second coming of Christ. We received this uh, from one of the modern-day prophets that's out there selling books. whose prophecies don't always come true. Uh, no, he, he didn't say that. He said, we receive this as not the words of men, but it's the word of the Lord. And folks, there is no shortage of prophets out there today. Let, let me give you just a little bit of a, how do you tell if someone is a, uh, someone who's not giving the word of the Lord? Those who claim God speaks to them, apart from this Word, don't buy into it. And those who claim to have, this is probably more common, special hidden knowledge, Oh, I, I'm not adding to Scripture. I'm just telling you that I have discovered now the secret of what this Scripture really means. And for $39.99, I'm serious. You can buy my book. And then you'll know the secrets to all of these. You know, the Bible tells us everything we need to know about jesus coming again and how we need to be prepared as believers and particularly i addressed this a second ago i'll address it again if you're here today and you're not a follower of christ you really need to listen to this bible says we're born again by the word of god the Bible says that we are sanctified by the Word of God. The Bible says that we are equipped for every good work by the Word of God, that we are equipped for warfare by the Word of God. Now, let me just say a couple of things about this. I, I, I really do not consider myself A a very good preacher. I really don't. But 15 plus years ago when I came, I I said, there's one thing I can do. I think. I've tried. Again, there are others that do it far, far better than I. But expositional, expository preaching, I think, is an example of what Paul is getting at here. I'm telling you about the second coming of Christ as an encouragement to give you hope, and it's from the Word of God and not men. And so what, I, what I've tried to do in the years that I've been here, going through books like Malachi, who would ever choose Malachi, Leviticus, Joel, uh, Job. I mean, aren't those laborious? I, I tell you, we found some wonderful, incredible things by going through those books, Ephesians, Romans, which took five years to go through. I joked one day with Kathy Herndon. She was sitting right down there when she was still alive. And, and I said, I've been in Romans so long that Kathy Herndon was in the eighth grade when I started. <clears throat> Hyperbole. I've done topical I've done some topical things, but primarily we stick with that, not because we're super spiritual or anything like that. This is just where you're going to get everything you need. If I preach topically, I'm going to miss something. I I promise you, you give me a topic and I will go back and show you the sermon that I preached out of a particular book that I hit that topic. My words may fail, my guess is that they have my words, but His Word never has failed. It has never, ever come back void to what He purposes to do, not what I purpose to do. I have a lot of purposes in my preaching, but I always go back to, God, this is Your message, this is Your Word, You do with it as You will to do. Second thing that is an application the importance of getting into the word for yourself and getting the word into yourself. And what little I know about discipling and in. Working with someone who's young in the faith, one of the first things that I want to do is to get them reading the Word of God. Now, I've had this discussion, so you take it as you will. What about devotional guides? Devotional, hear me say this, devotional guides are okay. I'm not even going to say good, there are some that are better than others. All right? So if you have a new Christian and you hand someone Sarah Young's devotional guide, Jesus Calling, that's not good. Or Joel Osteen's. By the way, you don't even have to give him a book. Do you know he's got a, a cube, the Joel Osteen cube? I'm tempted to ask how many of you have one. You had 39.95. I think that's the going price for that. It's kind of like the old, what did they used to call those, the little eight ball? Where you turn them over, the magic eight ball, and then something would float to the top. Well, this is electronic, so you push it, and then you just relax. I saw this advertised. Jan and I were on Fox TV, and we saw that advertised. She said, this has got to be a spoof they they don't need to be running something like that on on here. Well what I'm saying is there's no shortage of devotional guides to give someone but here's the thing if you rely on a devotional guide you get lazy. You you don't learn to that the the Bible is something you need to read and then reread and then Maybe wrangle with some of the things and then look at what, what others have said about it. I, I'm for all of that, but that is very, very important. And, and devotional guides can become substitutes for reading the Word of God. That's my only caution. Okay? So what he said is from the Word of God. Now, verses 17, uh, uh, 15b through 17, the coming event. I'm going to go through six things that he gives. This is the coming event. This is what I've been building toward. It's already 11.30. Drum roll, please. Wake you up. Get you going. Okay. Have you ever been in a, a... This is a great time of year to take pictures of fall trees. Okay. Jan and I were recently up in an area where we saw beautiful aspens, and we took pictures, and we thought, Oh, boy, this... And we looked at it and said and you can guess what we say, same thing you say, pictures don't do it justice. Listen, no Hollywood special effects could ever capture what is going to happen when Jesus comes back. Paul tells us, look at it, verse 16, the Lord Jesus himself will descend from heaven. Now, his first coming was relatively invisible, quiet, and localized. His second coming is going to be anything but. It's going to be visible. It's going to be incredibly loud, and it's going to be worldwide, if not cosmological. Says the Lord Jesus will himself descend from heaven. No one else is necessary, the Lord Jesus himself. It is not a secret event. In fact, Revelation 1 7 says, Behold, he is coming in the clouds, and every eye will see him. Now, pause. I am not advocating a particular system of eschatology. I'm just telling you about what Paul says about the coming of the Lord and then later on maybe we can look at different systems of ex- eschatology okay but it's just that the Lord is coming back and John says every eye will see him and how is that going to work I don't know I don't have the foggiest but all I know I don't think we're going to have to to rely on some invention of man. I think God's just going to do it. Every eye will see him. Now, these things I'm going to separate out, but they, I think they all happen simultaneously. The Lord is descending from heaven, and then he says with a cry of command. That's Jesus who's hollering. What do you think he's going to say? What did he say at the tomb of Lazarus? That's half right. If you say he said, come forth, that's right. But he was specific because he didn't want what's going to be happening in his second coming to happen right then. If he had just said, come forth, probably all of the graves would have emptied. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And what did Lazarus do? Boom! He came out of the grave. John says, don't marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Now, I I just have all kinds of questions about this. Is he going to say individually? I was thinking about my mother who died in 1982. Is he going to say Ruth? Now, it says a loud voice, Ruth, come forth. I just had a thought. I've encouraged the nursery workers to pipe my sermons into the nursery because it really helps the babies go to sleep. That might not have been the right thing. I don't know if he's in an instant, he'll call everyone. You, you think, I, I look out here and I see people who have lost loved ones. I, I, don't, I don't know if he's going to call the name of your loved one or you. See, Paul thought he was still going to be alive when he came back, when Jesus came back. He really did. We, then we who are alive. But he's going to give a loud command, not just a loud shout. It's, it's with purpose. He's going to give a loud command, command, and I believe he's going to say, come forth. And then there's another component of it with the voice of the archangel. And this is a little bit kind of fuzzy. We really don't know. The only archangel that's ever mentioned by name in Scripture is Michael. He's mentioned six times in Scripture. Three of those are in Daniel. Three are in the New Testament. Most of those have to do with warfare. But I kind of think this, this, could be, this could be a picture of why the angels or the, the archangel who together with the angels are accompanying him back. We'll see this in a minute. Then I saw another angel and he called with a loud voice. Again, it's going to be noisy when Jesus comes back. And all the angels were standing around the throne saying, amen. And, and I think this is the, 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 the basic message. They're going to be praising Jesus. You're just going to be worshiping him as he comes back in the clouds. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might. Have you run out of words yet? Be to our God forever and forever. I I really think that grasps the voice of the archangel. Not only that, there's going to be a loud trumpet. See, the angels have another job. They're going to be calling. Jesus is going to give the commands, but the angels are involved. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Then Paul says, Here's what's going to happen. And again, I look at this all being simultaneously happening virtually at the same time. It says the dead in Christ. Now, we're not going to get to this yet. It's to come. What about the dead not in Christ? He's not dealing with that right now. He's dealing with the dead in Christ will arise first. I love this. Because the Thessalonians were worried that maybe, maybe they were going to be left behind. He said, no, I'll tell you what. You think you guys that are alive and remain have a special place? It's the dead in Christ. They're going to get to go first. They're not going to miss the celebration. Look at this. The resurrection of the dead. What is sown is imperishable raised imperishable, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Again, it's hard to imagine what that's going to look like. In fact, he adds this part of it, we who are alive and are left to be caught up with them together in the clouds to meet the Lord in in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. The dead in Christ are going to be there. Boom, split second. But I think long enough to see. And and would reunion be the right kind of concept? Even in that split second, you see your loved one, and they've got their brand new body. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed. In the moment, in twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, Trumpet will sound, the dead end will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. So again, the sequence of events, the, the simultaneous nature, that sense of a great reunion to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will always be with the Lord. That's what's going to happen. The final thing is the ministry. We're to encourage one another with these words. When people start talking about death, do you sometimes think about these things? You know, I have great encouragement because of what the Bible says about the coming of the Lord, that physical death is not final. Someone is coming for you. The promises of Christ's coming give incredible hope to those of us who, Carol Cutler, you said it this morning in our little prayer time, who eagerly wait and long for His return. What about you? We don't know the when. In fact, I think I put a verse up there about the when. Yeah, I did. Concerning the day or the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son, only the Father. So what are we to do? Keep on guard. Keep awake, for you do not know the time that he will come. And then it says this. We don't know the time. We don't know the hour. But are there seasons we should recognize? I, I could be getting into some of that, that territory that I just warned against. But Jesus said it like this. I'll just let him say it. There will be signs. Just, just see how it fits. In the sun and the moon and the stars on the earth, the stress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is going on, coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then. They will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, do you you read that or listen to it? Do you sense that these things are taking place? Maybe. Well, here's what you do then. Now, when these things do begin to take place, straighten up, straighten up. That doesn't mean just stand straight. What did your parents used to tell you if you were not doing what you... What, really, what did what your parents used to tell you? Straighten up. I think that's what he means. Straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption draws nigh. We might have another thousand years. That's like a date of the Lord. Or maybe, just maybe... You're going to walk outside of these doors, you'll walk out, and you're going to be looking, you're walking to your car, and over there in the eastern sky, it's going to be split wide open. And there's going to be all kinds of noise, and in a split second, all of this that Paul has talked about is going to happen. What will you do? That all depends on your relationship with the Lord. What do you do when you're driving at night, or actually you're not, you're pulled over to the side of the road, and there are lights, red and blue lights flashing behind you? It's police officer. What do you do? That all depends on your situation. If you're broken down on a dark country road, that is the most welcome sign you would ever want to see. But if you're not doing something you need to do, then you're saying, oh, woe is me. Jesus is coming as a bridegroom for his church, but he's also coming as the judge. And I can give encouragement to you from God's word about those of you who are in Christ, but I cannot give it if you're not in Christ. And if you don't die in the Lord, nothing else will matter. All I can tell you is that you have an appointment, and then after that, the judgment. And whether that time is separated from the resurrection of the dead with a moment or a day or a thousand years, it is inevitable. So why would you wait? Why why would you wait to respond to the clear invitation of the gospel to repent from your sins and believe in Jesus Christ? Why wait until Jesus comes back and look up and say, oh, and realize it's eternally too late. Why not repent and believe in Jesus today? Father, I thank you for... Uh, the clarity of your word. Uh. And Lord, uh, I, I pray that you would help people be able to sort out what was my stuff that really is not going to amount to a hill of beans. And what is your stuff from your word that paints a picture of the reality of their future? Those who die in Christ, those who are waiting in Christ, and those who are not yet in Christ. And God, that you would help them to respond to the the word that has been proclaimed. We thank you, Lord, that we can worship you. And now as we prepare to leave this place, we pray that we would do so. Keeping our hands on the plow, you've given us work to do, so help us to keep our hands on the plow and keep our eyes plastered on the eastern sky. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.